So this morning, I, I will not be teaching from the book of Acts, but we are teaching from the book of Acts, but it's being done by one of our elders, also professor from Lancaster Bible College, and also marriage fixer and uh, marriage extraordinaire because he married up in the world Amen. to Carol. Uh, and, and so therefore, he's figured out a lot since he's been in that marriage. Amen. And uh, so <laughs> would you welcome to the stage Dr. Ed Sherman. You can just call him Ed. Good morning. So we are going to be in um, Acts chapter 20, and we're going to, uh, the first part is going to go very, very quickly, so if the others, I mean, the uh, people who have the Bibles are going to go ahead and pass those out right now. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one, and if you don't own one, then this now becomes yours. And we are, um, we're going to fly through the first couple of paragraphs of chapter 20 just to get us to the bulk, uh, the, the meat of, of, of the passage, if you will, um, I need to warn you, though, this is a pretty emotional passage. Um, I often tell my students when they're reading textbooks that this is not a murder mystery. It's okay to know the ending to, or the summary before you actually read the chapter. So I'm going to cut to the, to the end here and say this is when Paul says goodbye to the elders from the church in Ephesus. And it's a pretty powerful farewell. And so I'm, uh, you'll notice that even as Luke writes this chapter, he goes at a pretty quick pace to get to this farewell. And um, so I'm, we'll see how this goes, but it, it just bear with me. We're going to go fly quickly through these first couple of paragraphs. And um, Father, may you please guide the reading of your word and the applying of your word as we do this. So let's start in Acts chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended... Okay, last week we heard about the uproar. So here, here's Paul early on in his third missionary journey. And um, actually, while I'm reading this part, maybe you could put the map up, up there um, of Paul's third missionary journey there. Uh, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for, the, sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye. This is some of a, somewhat of a theme here as, as he's going through this place quickly here. Uh, verse 2, he traveled... Um, and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months, keeping in mind that he had been in Ephesus for a few years. And then you can see he uh, went north and over to Macedonia, down into southern Greece, Achaia. Uh, was only gone for three months before he started heading back, though. Uh, because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by a bunch of people with names that I'm not going to butcher this time. <laughs> These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. Now, it's interesting here. Um, one of the reasons that Paul is traveling quickly, there are two possible reasons that um, people speculate on. One is that he had been taking a collection for the church in Jerusalem, carrying a bunch of money with him, Needing, and so you look at the names and the places of these, where these guys came from. It's almost as if there was a delegation for, or someone representing each of the areas from where he had collected money to take back to Jerusalem. And he had sort of a, a bodyguard contingency around him. I remember in China, when, when I would get paid, I would have to go to the office, uh, to the little bank on campus, a very large campus, get our money. But they didn't have large denomination of bills there. So imagine, for example, uh, let's say you get paid $1,000 and all they have is $5 bills. Okay, and you're carrying this wad of money. 
And from the time you get it until you get home, you're, getting, you're quite nervous about this. Um, that's sort of what might have been happening here in terms of the protection of the money. The other thing is that there was a plot against Paul himself, so personally he was a bit concerned, and you're much more vulnerable at sea than you are on land. And so let's continue on here in verse uh, 5. These men went on ahead of us and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So again, moving quickly here now in, on the map, you see us, uh, Paul starting to come back, getting ready to head south down back into what was called Asia, uh, on the other side of the Bosporus of uh, Turkey there, and down, down along the, east, uh, the west coast of Asia. So he's getting ready to come through here pretty, pretty quickly here. Um, and now we come into a, I don't know, the, if I were Luke writing the book of Acts, I, I almost feel like he puts this passage in there for fun. Um, this boy named Eutychus. Let's, let's read about Eutychus, verse 7 to 12. On the first day of the week, we came together to break, bed, break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Now, keep in mind, Paul has a sense of urgency here. In his mind, he knows he's not going to see these people again. These are his last words and his last opportunity to speak last words, and so he's going to take full advantage of that. And so he goes until midnight. Keep going. Verse 8. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, sucking the oxygen out of the air. <laughs> Seated in a window trying to get some fresh air, was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When I got saved, I was living in North Jersey, and um, the church where I got saved um, had what we called Eutychus meetings. <laughs> for the senior high youth, uh, um, opportunity for you to exercise scripture, Bible start, study started at 9 o'clock and went until midnight. Pizza was involved. So here's Eutychus, falling into a deep sleep. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. A nice little graphic here, for a PG version on the next slide here, as we see poor old Eutychus. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate after talking until daylight. He left. Eutychus falls out, dead, picked up, alive. All right, let's get back to, this, to what we were talking about. Verse 12, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. I wonder how much of what Paul preached they remembered <laughs> compared to what they saw and what he did with Eutychus, what God did through Paul. So we've gone through these first two paragraphs rather quickly here. And again, the, we're looking towards the end of what, what's happening um, in um, Paul's life as he gets ready to say goodbye to all these people and um, it's interesting how we just had this 
commissioning prayer for Donna Sandy. You know, we're getting ready to send them back to Singapore. Um, by the way, of all the probably about 88 airports that I've been to, Singapore Airport is my favorite. If you're going to get stuck in an airport for a while, that's the one to do it in. Um, but if you go in to see them, you're not going to get stuck in the airport because you're going to go see them. <laughs> but there's a difference here. We're sending Don and Sandy back to Singapore with the anticipation that we will get to see them again. On the other hand, and they were here in the first service, um, and I have permission to share this with you. Um, do we have that picture of uh, Megan Fletch up there? Fletch and Meg Matlack are, Fletch has just been given a call to serve as a pastor in a church in uh, New York. And they will be leaving in about a month or so, is that right? Uh, we as the church have an opportunity to bless them during their transition as we pray for them, as we rejoice with them over what God is doing in calling him into this role. We have been quite involved in, in their lives, and they have been involved in our lives. The difference between sending Don and Sandy back to Singapore for a time, Lord willing, and Fletch and Meg is that we're saying goodbye. And with that comes deep emotion. That gets you one step closer to understanding the weight of emotion that Paul felt in this passage we're about to look at. But to help you a little bit more, I'm going to show you a, very, a little video clip, I hope. <laughs> and this is from Lord of the Rings. At, at the very end of the story here, at the and they're getting ready to leave. And Gandalf is, says to Frodo, come on, let's go. Let's watch. Farewell. the shores of the sea comes the end of our fellowship. I will not say do not weep, for not all tears are an evil.
story and you're not crying, dude. <laughs> Something's wrong. <laughs> that is such a hard scene for me um, because I imagine myself to be Sam in that story. You know, the person who helps others do what God's called them to do. On um, December, I think it was 15th, 1986, um, our church had a commissioning time for us to go to the mission field. And uh, it was a very precious time, and, you know, we had a strong sense of God's calling. For 23 years, we served in Southeast Asia. But on April 1st, 2010, an unfortunate day that it was the f- April 1st, some, of us, some people thought it was April Fool's that I was saying, but I informed our, the 17 team leaders, their wives, their families, and all the others that we were leaving, that God had called us back to the United States uh, to teach at Lancaster Bible College. And it was a very difficult time. In fact, I used this passage at that goodbye. So I probably should have waited to show that at the end of the sermon, the message, but I needed you to feel the weight of what was going on in Paul's life as he says the words that he's about to say. Looking at verse 13. Let's continue. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him on aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So he goes by Ephesus, perhaps because he knew if he had set one foot in that city, it would have been very difficult to get out of there because of the depth of relationship that he had there. But he, because he had a high priority of getting where he was going. That's why in the previous place, he preached all night long because he only had so much time, he wanted to keep going. And so he didn't stop there, but he called for the the elders from the church in Ephesus to come down to where he was. Imagine traveling by foot or land, however they went, from, say, Harrisburg down to Lancaster. Maybe a little bit shorter than the distance, but probably give give or take there. And in verse 18, he says, when they arrived, he said to them, and as he goes into this discourse, Paul is going to highlight how he lived and what he said among them. And he begins uh, with, with, how, with the thing, how he lived before them. He says, you know, and this word know is going to pop up several times in this passage. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house and from house to house. I have declared to you, both to both Jews and Greeks, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Just as Joshua said to the Israelites as he was getting old and ready to to, uh, die, he uh, said, look, let me talk to you about what God has done, how he's shown his faithfulness. You've seen how I've lived and all this. And then verse 15, he gets to the, but choose for yourselves this day how how you're going to live, whom you will serve. Samuel 
similarly in 1 Samuel 12, gives a farewell address in which he challenges them. Jesus in John 17, as he has that priestly prayer, thinking about how he, he's lived, but also how they are to live. And so here is Paul rehearsing how he lived. And how did he live? With integrity, with tears, with humility. And he's going to go on again to say that he basically has no regrets with what he's, how he's lived and what he said. As you think now, let's try to, in your mind, imagine what are some transitions that you have gone through, are going through, or might go through. It might be graduating from high school or college, or it might be going to a new church. It might be going back to a, going to a foreign land. It might be the loss of a loved one. There are so many transitions that we go through. Wouldn't it be nice to know when that was actually happening and step back and then be able to speak into someone's life before that transition happened? We don't often get to have our last words, or we don't often get to hear last words from someone. Paul knew this was going to be his last time to see them. And he took advantage of that and first of all rehearsed what God had done in and through him in their presence. Going on. Uh, and and I'm, I'm sorry, I should mention there that the role of tears is so important in, um, in, in this passage. Not just for saying goodbye, um, but he said, you know, ministry is happening in tears. And how oftentimes when real ministry happens, there are tears involved. For example, lovingly confronting with someone. Remember I preached on a passage in Corinthians about when Paul was coming and, you know, the, am I going to come with a hammer or, or, or softly? Loving confrontation is, often involves tears, doesn't it? Because it is so hard to do both when you give it and sometimes when you receive it. But that shouldn't stop us. One of the, uh, one of the takeaways from today I would, would hope would be that we become less afraid of tears. Because tears sometimes make us uncomfortable. Discomfort sometimes keeps us from performing what God wants us to perform or to say what he wants us to say. Paul didn't feel that at all here. He goes on to reflect a little bit more here uh, as he continues. Look at ver in, beginning in verse 22, he starts looking at the future. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So he's just said, I don't know what's going, but I do what's going to happen, but I do know. It's not going to be pretty. And yet he decides to go anyway. How many of you have ever heard it said that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will? Anyone ever hear that? Not true. It is the best place, but it certainly may not be the safest place. And sometimes it may even be the most dangerous place. But if you're walking closely with God, he is there with you and guiding you and you're leaning on him, he's there with you anyway. And so Paul, knowing that, in fact, Hebrews 12 has a great, uh, talks about how Jesus said, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I, it'll be on the screen here, just to save you time from looking at it. Jesus speaking, of, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, 
For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, thro- the, th- uh, of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from a sinful man, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just as Jesus had his eyes fixed on the joy before him through the ministry of the cross, so Paul here knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, it is not going to be easy. But the knowledge is that this is what God has compelled him to do. Sometimes we know, you've heard it before, fear is not, um, uh, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is knowing what, that there's fear, but going anyway. And so sometimes we have to, we say, God, is that really what you, what you want me to do? You want me to talk to that person? You want me to do this? Yes. Well, okay, if that's what you want me to do, then that's what we'll, that's what we'll do. Verse 24 says a little bit more. However, I consider my life worthing, worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What is that task? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. One of my fears at a church like ours where we emphasize oikos ministry so much is that we allow the oikos aspect of it, the relational aspect of it, to overshadow the gospel proclamation aspect of oikos evangelism and discipleship. And so having those relationships is a means to a greater end of sharing the gospel, challenging them with scripture, from a life of integrity and humility, and yes, sometimes tears, so that they will see and hear a life based on the Word of God. He doesn't stop there, though. And here here again in verse 25 is the word now again. And now he starts um, moving beyond uh, just reflecting back. Now he's going to make it more personal for them. And he has a concern about them, and he then commissions them. Verse 25, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Imagine those elders. They had not known that, and now there it is, the shoe drops. Wait, what? We're not going to see you again? What what do you mean? And just as Sam says to Frodo, what does he mean? And Frodo says, we set out to save the Shire, and we did, but not for me. And you see in Sam this depth of loss in a moment. No preparation. In a few minutes, he's gone. The elders are feeling that same weight at this moment. You will never see me again. Verse 26, Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And here's the extra. If I could, I would take every elder, past, present, and future, in, and have you in the front seats right now for this next section right here. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Step one, watch over yourselves. If when I teach the uh, Fundamentals of Leadership class at Lancaster Bible College, one of the books we use highlights uh, Spurgeon and his book on integrity and leadership. You as a leader have a responsibility to first guard your own walk with the Lord. Today is Father's Day. The single, most, the single highest priority for any father should be to walk closely with God. 
The greatest gift you could give your children and your wife is a close walk with God. The second gift you can give your children is a close walk with your wife. But that has to begin with a close walk with God yourself. Guard yourselves, keep watch over yourselves, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and, you, and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Look around this room for a moment. Can you recognize the savage wolves that might be here? We chuckle a little bit, but there's truth here. That within this body, there could very likely be a wolf in sheep's clothing. One or more who would take this book and say, well, maybe not this verse. Did God really say is usually how Satan's lies begin. Did God really say? And so they look at this this book and say, you know what, we don't really need to follow that verse. Sometimes, have you ever been tempted to say, I wish that verse wasn't in here? In fact, you know what, let's just get rid of that one. Let me explain for a moment. (laughs) I have to do this very quickly. Because some of you are ready to stone me right now. (laughs) This particular Bible I ordered many years ago, and it is missing a large chunk of Scripture in it. I called the distributor, the person who sold it to me, and they said, oh, sorry, we'll send you another one. Well, what should I do with this? I'll just throw it out. Well, I'm not going to throw it out. There's going to be a teaching opportunity someday. Today's the first day I had the courage to actually do it. (laughs) But, okay, reel it back. (laughs) There could very well be people within this room who would draw us away from God's word towards something other than what God is saying. You need to be praying for us as elders and the pastoral staff that we would stand firm on God's Word. Dr. Peter Tague, our president of Lancaster Bible College, says, Lancaster Bible College, Bible is our middle name, and we like our middle name. It's one of our distinctives. It's our primary distinctive, is that we are a Bible college. It's it's not enough to say that, though. We also have to live it. And now we come to verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive." I've been carrying around in my pocket here um, all morning long uh, a precious item that I want to show to you. How many of you remember um, the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown? It's not. 
if they're going out trick-or-treating, and as they give a report about what they got, I got a popcorn candy or whatever, candy apple, or what did Charlie Brown always get? I got a rock. <laughs> and so I have in my pocket a rock. This is a very precious rock to me. Um, it's from Thailand. I have many of these rocks, actually. And uh, on that, when I told you about April in 2010, when we said goodbye to all these leaders, I had one of these made for every one of them. Uh, these flat rocks in Chiang Mai, and I had an artist um, right on there. On the one side, it says Acts 20:32. On the other side, it says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. And uh, a little pretty bamboo on here. And I gave this rock to each of my team leaders. And I said, I commit you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. You know, people, you know, I'm a, I'm a my love language, my primary love language is words of affirmation. I'm always nervous to say something like that because then after church, I don't know whether they really mean it or not. Uh, say it was a good message. <laughs> but in Shanghai, when we left China and when we left Thailand, in each of those places, there were, they, someone took upon themselves this huge goodbye where people had a chance to share testimonies or one team actually wrote a song and, a bit on the, and all kinds of things to say, thank you for what you've done, but, which is nice. But one of the dangers is that we leaders can sometimes get sucked up into getting appreciated and looking for those words of affirmation. Paul had no such problems here. He told, this, this was about what he wanted to impart to them. You need to walk closely with God. You need to guard the, the flock. And, he go, and, and then at the end here, he talks about being generous. And he quotes Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Take care of the weak. Be generous in your giving. But not just generous, be intentional and be intelligent. It's interesting how when you think about uh, giving on the mission field, th there's a book called When Helping Hurts. And uh, Glenn Schwartz wrote a, another book, it was actually about 10 years before that one, where he talks about dependency and the danger of giving so much that the people will become dependent on the giving. And what Glenn Schwartz says is we, we sometimes actually rob people of a blessing because we put them as receivers all the time that they never get to give. And sometimes we need to allow ourselves, well, how many of you would be like me, where I find it more difficult to have my feet washed than, than I do to wash, wash someone else's feet? I'd rather wash or minister to others than I would have them minister to me. And, and sometimes we need to, yes, we have to be generous and intentional and intelligent with how we give, but sometimes we have to be willing to receive. That's more difficult for some of us. Um, by the way, it is a good time for us to think about being generous and intentional and intelligent with our, with our giving as we move into the next phase of what God's calling us to do here at LEFC, is it not? Well, let me read this last paragraph here as we start to, to wrap up a little bit. And here it is. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. 
And all the more you see how the Grey Havens clip from Lord of the Rings is so relevant to this passage right here. When we were in China, the Chinese custom, when you're traveling somewhere, they will come with you as far as they possibly can. And just before you get on the plane or the train or the bus, they will load you up with gifts that you have no room to carry, have no desire to keep. Uh, some of the tackiest gifts we've ever received were given just before we left. But they are giving hospitable people. And we in America, when it's time to say goodbye, some of us don't even get out of our chair. See ya. <laughs> if I'm being Asian, I'm getting out of my chair, I'm walking outside the door, I'm walking to the door, to the car, and waiting until you leave until I cannot see you anymore. And I imagine something like that here. Just as we saw in the video clip. Until he was out of sight, they were going to hold on to as much as they could. Such was the depth of relationship that they had with this man, Paul, who had given himself to them. And so how about us in our lives? When we think about transitions, one of the things I, I would like to challenge us to do as a, believe, as a body of believers is to become more sensitized to those around us who are going through transition and do what we can to help them through transitions. The Matlacks, for example, the Grams as they go back, and others who you know, whatever those transitions might be. And a little tool that I picked up in a book I'd like to share with you, is, it's about building a raft. And this comes from the TCK experience, third culture experience, written by uh, Dave Pollock and Ruth Van Rieken. And um, you see the R-A-F-T, reconciliation. The idea here is that you say the words, I'm sorry. You reconcile. Because if you don't reconcile this relationship, it will come out in some other relationships in the future. Make sure that you don't leave or don't let help someone to leave with no unreconciled relationships. A, they need to hear the words, thank you. We sometimes assume, oh, they know that I appreciate them. Yeah, but tell them once again, I'm, thank you for what you've done for me. F I, F is farewell, saying goodbye. This is a hard part for, for many of us. You know, um, Carol's sister, after a couple of times when we would go, to, uh, every time we would leave to go back to the, to the mission field, it was very difficult for her. And at one point in time, she said, I can't do it anymore. I can't go to the airport anymore. I'll say my goodbyes here. And for different people, we have to think about, but they need to hear the words goodbye. Sometimes it's saying, uh, with our children, when we left um, Hong Kong or Thailand, we would work through a process of saying goodbye to people, saying goodbye to places. We took them to some of their favorite places to take pictures so that they could remember those places. To, uh, if you have any pets, what's going to happen to the pet? Because if the child sees you giving their pet away, they start thinking, what about me? Okay, but working through some of those goodbyes and... and um, and, and possessions and things like that. But then the last one, T, think destination. What does it look like when you get to the other side? When we came back from Thailand to the States, we had to ask ourselves, what kind of reception do we want at the airport, for example? Do we want everyone there with banners and balloons and... Uh, no. <laughs> do we just Carol's mom and dad showing up and putting us in their vehicle, let's go home nice and quietly, get ourselves <sighs> settled here, then we can think about seeing a large body of believers, our, our sending church that we um, had in Hanover, Pennsylvania. But this is just a nice way to think through, how do I help someone through transition? As you stop and think right now, 
you might be thinking about the transitions you're going through, and I want you to push out a little further and think, what transitions are going on around you? So let's look at some questions here to ask yourself in conclusion here. First one is just that. What losses are those around you experiencing? And that may, maybe even make this a prayer request. God, help me to be sensitive to those transitions going on around me. Secondly, how can you use God's Word to help them? Now, not in the typical thing that we do. We throw verses at someone and sort of that warm, be blessed. Here's the Bible verse for you. Hope it blesses you. But really using God's Word in a practical, helpful way. Third, does the way you live give credibility to the gospel you preach? Are you pouring into others' spiritual growth from a position of a strong personal walk with God? Do you give generously, intentionally, and intelligently? And are you comfortable with tears? Now, I have four daughters, three and a half sons-in-law. Matt is actually doing this uh, sound. Nothing's gone wrong, so I think July 8th is still on. <laughs> I grew up with five brothers and a sister, though, and tears weren't a big part of our family, at least not publicly. Growing up with uh, having four daughters in the home, however, has made me much more comfortable with tears. Now, when we first got married, we were looking for a place to live. And uh, this was, we looked at a place friends had found for us, a very, very old, actually it was a chicken coop on a farm turned into a tenant house on a farm. Now I'm from North Jersey. There were bugs and flies around this place. And I said, there's no way we're moving into this thing. Carol cried, <laughs> we moved in. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't work so much anymore, though, does it not? <laughs> because I've grown comfortable with tears. In fact, Carol was at a retreat uh, for missionaries and a bunch of uh, in, uh, in uh, Budapest, I think it was. Um, and when she came back, we were talking about it. And uh, I said, well, how'd it go? And she said, oh, there, were, there was a lot of ministry. The women were really crying. And we came, this became sort of a byline for us. And we'd say, was there ministry, meaning were there tears? In my office, I have a box of tissues. Um, I didn't realize this for a long time, but I once had a student come into my office and say, oh yeah, I've heard about office visits with Dr. Ed. They talk about how you cannot go into this office without crying sometime. And I'm thinking, yikes, is that the reputation I want to have? I don't know. Uh, but what, what the somewhat veiled compliment, I think, was, was that I'm a listener. And that the gift of listening is a precious gift that we don't give as often as we should. And um, having a box of tissues helps, but that listening ear becomes part of the ministry. Just, I would say, on the one hand, what you say and how you listen become ministry. And as we've seen in this chapter, oftentimes that involves tears. And um, on Father's Day, to you fathers... Are you comfortable with tears? And, uh, this is not something that is easily acquired, but with much practice. <laughs> um, the idea is, is, I mean, I'll be honest with you. 
and I'll, I'll, I'll share this very briefly. I think the floodgates were opened for me with our oldest daughter when we took her to college. How many of you have seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof? The second child is getting ready to go to Siberia to see her soon-to-be husband. They're sitting at the train station, just Tevya and her daughter, his daughter. And she says to him, Papa, God alone knows when we will see each other again. And he says, well, I guess we'll leave it in his hands. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so my oldest daughter, we're in Thailand. We come back to the States to take our oldest daughter to college in Michigan. And uh, in the parking lot, you know, during the orientation, there's always that moment when the orientation people say, okay, parents, time for you to say goodbye. I mean, they know very clearly that they have to be intentional about that, or some parents will just grab onto the ankles and, and not let go. And I remember in the parking lot, when we were getting ready to send her away, and we were getting in the car, and I was bawling. In my mind was that scene from Fit on the Roof. God alone knows when we will see each other again. And ever since then, I have been a ball baby. <laughs> I'll leave it at that for now. Are you comfortable with tears? Think about the transitions in your life. Think about those who are going through these things. As the worship band gets ready to come up, we're going to uh, sing a song that talks about um, even when we go through storms, even when we go through, whether it be calm or stormy time, God is with us. Those of you who know me that know that studying God's attributes is a very important thing for me. Today, I'd like to highlight His omnipresence. He is with me today. Wherever I am, He is with me. I don't need to say, you know, um, pet peeve, where two or three are gathered in my name. is taken out of context because God says He is always with me. He's going before me, and He's remaining behind me. As Don and Sandy get ready to go back to Singapore, God goes with them. He's ahead of them, getting ready for them, and He remains behind them to watch over their family that they leave behind. Isn't it nice to know that whether we go through storms or not, God is with us wherever we are, whenever we are. Let's close in prayer and we'll sing that song. Father, thank you that you are here with us right now, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And as we think about this passage, thank you for the testimony of Paul. May you help us also to say what we need to say, to live as we need to live, so that we would not get in the way of the proclaiming of your message, the message of the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, at the, at the end of that verse, uh, 20 verse 32, he says, uh, grant you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That word sanctified has the idea of being set apart for a purpose. Just as a butcher takes a piece of meat to be cooked and enjoyed, so God sets us apart for a purpose, to bring glory to him through how we live and what we say. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and grant you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You're dismissed.